You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. Locked, loaded, and ready with three great games on tap. 12 o'clock, Texas Tech and USF. Army, San Diego State, App State, and Toledo. When we left off, we're talking about the Pinstripe Bowl. Very blue-collar matchup. It's going to be 29 degrees in New York City. Going to be cold, possibly rainy. Perfect for Iowa and Boston College. But this is a Boston College team, Rich, that's lost five of six bowl games. They did win last year against Maryland, 36-30. to But I love this team. They're plus eight in turnover margin. Darius Wade will get the start at quarterback. And this is a team in Boston College that has played nine bowl teams this year. A.J. Dillon's a stud. I like Boston College to get a 10-point victory over Iowa. Yeah, if you haven't watched Boston College, if you want to get a feel for this program heading into 2018, and that's that's the way I watch a lot of bowl games. It's for today, sure, but it's also a chance to really begin to look ahead to 2018. It is never too early to get sneak peeks on next season. And A.J. Dillon is going to be one of the best running backs in college football in 2018. Boston College, when Boston College is a competitive football team, they're gritty, they're tough defensively, and they run the ball ferociously between the tackles. They now have that kid to to execute an A.J. Dillon, but... You know, Iowa's got a good running back as well. Big fan of Akram Wadley. I think he's going to play way well at the NFL level. He's also a kid from Newark, New Jersey, so it's a bit of a coming home party for Wadley. He'll have a lot of friends and family at Yankee Stadium. I like Iowa. I, I just think when you look at these two teams, both are tough defensively. Both can run the ball. We mentioned the running backs, but Iowa at least has a threat in the passing game. It's going to be tough. Boston College has one of the best pass defenses in the country. But Nate Stanley, Noah Fant at tight end, at least Iowa has a threat in the passing game. Not the case with Boston College. I agree. I think it'll be a fun, entertaining, old-school game. But give me the Hawkeyes. Yeah, I think everybody's going to key on that game against Ohio State where they dominated 55-24. to This is an Iowa offense that's averaging 142 rushing yards per game, passing for 197 through the air. And when you look at Stanley completing 55% of his passes, 2,333 yards, 25 touchdowns. But I look at Boston College in the trenches. This is an offense that's averaging 224 rushing yards per game with Dylan Darius Wade is a senior quarterback. I think that matters as well. He has mobility outside the pocket. I think he's an added benefit and an upgrade from Anthony Brown. And I look at those games against Louisville, against Virginia, against Clemson. Boston College played very, very well, even against NC State at the end of the year. And I I think you really have to weigh which conference is better, Big Ten or ACC. And that's why I like the Eagles in this ballgame. Well, quickly, Iowa, number two nationally with 19 interceptions. I don't like Darius Wade. There's a reason why uh, Steve Adonis went to Anthony Brown this season. Wade is in there because of an injury. I I think that tendency to turn the ball over is going to be an issue against Iowa. One more chance to see Josh Jackson at cornerback and Josie Jewell. That'll be fun for Iowa. I'm lobbying. Three years ago, Cliff Stout and and Clemson got the win when he made the start against Oklahoma. So keep that in the back of your mind. He was a senior quarterback going out in style. When we come back, we'll be breaking down the games later in the week. Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live in the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Studio 34. 
Playing daily fantasy basketball this year? Consider Daily Roto your go-to resource. Whether you play on DraftKings or FanDuel, Daily Roto's customizable projections, podcasts, strategy guides, and lineup optimizer will help you compete with the pros in a fraction of the time. With a team featuring millionaire maker winners and live final champions, there's no better place to get your NBA DFS content. Better yet, you can save 10% using the promo code FNTSY. So go to dailyroto.com slash premium and learn more about our awesome product. Great matchup later in the week. Arizona and Rich Rod taking on Jeff Grom and Purdue. Purdue back to 500 this year, 6-6. Six and six. Elijah Sindelar playing very well in the system, came on down the stretch. But Khalil Tate, one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the country, this is an Arizona offense averaging 324 rushing yards per game. When you look at the strength of Purdue's defense, very solid in run support, 133 rushing yards allowed. But they haven't played a quarterback of his athleticism in the in the Big Ten this year, and that's why I love Arizona in this matchup. Yeah, I, I like Purdue. I, I'm going to go with a team that can play some semblance of a defense. <laughs> Arizona, 121st nationally in third down stops. You've got Khalil Tate, and listen, I, I would implore our audience that you probably haven't seen Khalil Tate. Kids started the year on the bench and then just basically channeled his inner Lamar Jackson over the final eight or nine games of the season. I mean, he went over 200 yards, went over 300 yards. He is a phenomenal rushing quarterback, just a great college quarterback. But Purdue now has had almost a month to prepare for what is largely a one-dimensional offense. You've got some outstanding linebackers, Jawan Bentley, Marcus Bailey. That defense under Nick Holt has done a surprisingly good job. And Arizona, Joe, they have struggled all season long. They've really struggled all decade long to make consistent stops. I like Sindelar against that defense. And how about Anthony Mahungu? From that, say that. <laughs> from that hotbed of college football talent, Paris, France, a big wide receiver that was tough to stop down the stretch. For me, and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, this is arguably the most entertaining game of the postseason. I think they'll go up and down the field, lots of points, lots of big plays. But when it comes time to make a stop, give me the Boilermakers in this game. I think it's a great matchup, but I think Purdue wins it. Yeah, I'm not a big backer of Rich Rod in any type of bowl scenario, but I will say this about his offense. They have the type of offense to really jump up quick and really choke you out in terms of MMA terms. And when you look at Purdue, I feel like they they need an offense that plays right in front of them. You look at that ball game at the end of the year against Iowa, more methodical, blue-collar offense that needs to to work down the field when you can score in 20 30 seconds like the up-tempo offense of Arizona that could really force Sindelar to to really come out of his game I mean he's only completing 55 percent of his passes over 1700 passing yards he only has 14 passing touchdowns and the weakness of Arizona's defense for the most part is in their secondary giving up 260 passing yards to opposing quarterbacks for me that's the difference I look at it as speed against a very slow defense that can't run sideline to sideline and that's why I like Arizona here. It's a fair point. Arizona's favored for a reason. I I worry about the health of Khalil Tate. His shoulder was not 100% at the end of the season and because of that Arizona lost both of their final two games. This is a 
largely a one-dimensional operation, whether it's offensively or defensively. It's kind of like Tate and everybody else. I mean, Louisville has its Lamar Jackson, but they also have talent on both sides of the ball. Arizona, there's talent, but it's young talent. Rich Rod used a lot of freshmen and sophomores. Uh, Kylan Wilborn, defensive end, played really well. But these are young players. I think the future is bright in Tucson. I really do. I think in 2018, this is a team that could be a sleeper threat out of the South with uh, Tate behind center and all of those young defenders now being sophomores and juniors. But in this game, I just think that Purdue brings a little bit more defensively. And also in terms of head coaching, Rich Rod's been around longer. I actually think Jeff Brom is the better head coach. I'd rather take Jeff Brom and his staff over Rich Rod and his assistant coaches with time to prepare, I think he'll have a game plan in order to take advantage of that undersized, leaky, generous Arizona defense. Yeah, well, I see a lot of points here. I mean, Purdue's only averaging about 150 rushing yards per game, and when you look at the, uh, the type of offense that they have faced, the only game that you can go back to was Missouri at the early part of the year where they dominated that matchup 35 to 3 and we saw Missouri's offense after the halfway point just kick it into gear so that was a different Missouri type of team they couldn't run the football consistently with Crockett they Drew Locke did not get into a rhythm early on but after that they really kicked it into gear so when I look at Purdue overall yeah they played well against Michigan they played well against some of the better teams in the Big 10 but from a speed perspective and from running sideline to sideline the motion of Arizona Arizona's offense with or without Tate because if Tate doesn't play or is banged up in this ballgame, Rich Rod's still going to use fly sweeps to run Purdue's defense from sideline to sideline, and that's where I think they can get worn out. Uh, listen, I like Purdue. I, I I don't love Purdue. If if Tate was uh, was to take this game over, Joe, if he ran for 175 yards and three touchdowns, it wouldn't shock me. He's that kind of a dynamic player. And if Purdue overcommits to stopping his legs, he has shown the ability occasionally to pop a few big plays through the air. So to me, it's a fascinating matchup. It's also an interesting matchup looking ahead to next season because I think both of these programs will continue to be on the uptick heading into 2018. Yeah, I see this high scoring. I see it yeah, in totally. the 70s. I see 48-31 Arizona gets the victory. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think Purdue wins this game outright, getting points, but uh, I, I think it's it's an over game. I think it'll be a track meet in Santa Clara. Yeah, we'll turn our attention to Missouri and in Texas. Rich and I both said we like Missouri in this ballgame, but let's talk about the Tigers. I mentioned six straight wins. They won those games by 30 points per game. This is a Missouri offense that is averaging 199 rushing yards per game, passing for 311 through the air with Drew Locke, the FBS leader in terms of touchdown passes, 43 touchdown passes, only 12 interceptions. During the six-game stretch, Rich, he threw 26 touchdowns, only eight interceptions, really came on. Josh Heupel, the offensive coordinator that now has become the new head coach of Central Florida, will coach in this ballgame. To me, that's the difference. I'm not buying into Tom Herman. He's done a great job in getting Texas back to a bowl. But I look at this offense overall, not being able to match Missouri score for score. Even though the game is in Texas, I love the Tigers here. 
Yeah, listen, Missouri beat up on a lot of bad competition. I mean, there were a lot of UConn-type victories during their run, but I, I think confidence is a factor. Momentum is a key. Barry Odom, the head coach, second-year head coach of Missouri, was really struggling in September, had to have a press conference in which you know, he almost broke down saying, my, my team won't quit, my team will continue to fight, and that's exactly what they did. I look at Missouri as a poor man's, uh, maybe very poor man's, Oklahoma. I, I think they score so fast. They have the young quarterback who can make plays in the pocket, outside the pocket. They can run the ball with Crockett. They have an outstanding all-SEC tight end. You have Jamon Moore, the wide receiver. So a lot of different weapons for Locke to connect with. Now, defensively, there are some issues, but I don't know if it gets exposed against Texas because Texas lacked consistency on offense all season long. They've used both of their quarterbacks, Ellinger and, and Bouchelle. Chris Warren, who was supposed to be their top running back, he's going to transfer outside of the program. Connor Williams, likely a first-round draft choice next season at tackle. He is not going to play. You mentioned Malik Jefferson, their best defender, might not play. The defensive secondary, Holton Hill, Deshaun Elliott, will not play. I just think there's too much attrition. And once Missouri starts to move the ball, starts to score, I don't think the Longhorns have nearly enough firepower to keep pace. And again, I'll keep saying it. This bowl game really matters to a Missouri that was down and out over the past season plus. Now they have a chance to showcase that young talent and kind of get on the runway for 2018. So I think this is a big win for the Tigers. Yeah, I agree. And when you look at the running backs, after Crockett went out for Missouri, you had Roundtree and Witter yes. that really stepped up combined. It's almost like a lightning, uh, 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 what do they call it? Uh, thunder and lightning. Thunder and lightning yep. type of duo there. 11 rushing touchdowns. Uh, they Their ability to run between the tackles could be the difference. Now, Texas is giving up 105 rushing yards per game, but the weakness of the Longhorns is in their secondary. They're giving up 257 passing yards to opposing quarterbacks. Now they're holding opposing offenses to 27% on third down conversions. But again, it's their ability to dictate tempo. And I'll say this about Texas's offense. I'm not sold on how Tom Herman has really worked Bouchelle and Ellinger in terms of going back and forth with both quarterbacks. Ellinger's as good as he's played. He's only completed 58% of his passes. Ten touchdowns, seven interceptions. If Drew Locke starts rolling sevens early, it could be lights out here. Yeah, one more thing, too. We talk about the skill position talent and why I compare Missouri to, to being a poor man's Oklahoma. Oklahoma has a dynamite offensive line. How about Mizzou? 12 sacks, despite the fact that they've thrown so often in 2017, just a dozen sacks allowed this season. So I think they'll be able to neutralize Puna Ford and the defensive front of Texas. I don't think it's a blowout because I'm a little concerned Missouri against better competition didn't show up. Texas did a great job defensively against some of the better offenses on the schedule like Oklahoma State. But at the end of the day, I think Missouri gets out with a victory. Yeah, I see Missouri 44, Texas 30 in that ball game. We're just getting started. When we come back, we'll be breaking down the other games as well. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Studio 34.
Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. Great matchup taking place. Justin Fuente and Virginia Tech, Oklahoma State. Mike Gundy, I'm a man. But I love Virginia Tech here because of their defense, Rich. I think they match up very well against Mason Rudolph and the crew. I'm calling for the upset here. 38-31, Vatek in the upset here. And, and it would be an upset, and it would be a very disappointing finish to the season for Oklahoma State. was unimpressed with the way the, the Cowboys closed. Defensively, they collapsed. But as long as Mason Rudolph and James Washington decide to, and Washington has been outspoken, he's not only going to play, but you'll see 100% out of their star Bolitnikoff award-winning wide receiver as long as those kids are locked into this game in Orlando I like Oklahoma State now the matchup is fantastic I mean give me Mike Gundy's offense versus Bud Foster's defense you're spot on the Hokies are as good as ever defensively but in a game that involves Oklahoma State, you're going to have to have some kind of firepower, some kind of execution and consistency offensively to keep pace with the Cowboys. I just don't think that exists in Vatek. Justin Fuente did an okay job this year in his second season. But I think, Joe, the, the Hokies regressed, particularly offensively. I expected more from Josh Jackson at quarterback. He did not deliver. The running game has been absent, and now their best playmaker on offense, their all-time leading wide receiver, Cam Phillips, out with a sports hernia. So I don't know if Virginia Tech has enough weapons to keep pace with Oklahoma State. It's going to be a great matchup, studying contrasts. But give me the team that could put points on the board. I'll take Oklahoma State to win and cover. Yeah, you're talking about an Oklahoma State team that was 6-0 and on the road this year, and they average 184 rushing yards per game, 392 through the air with their quarterback, Mason Rudolph, that did complete 65% of his passes. But you look at the, the I want to say, the transgression of Virginia Tech's offense this year. They did have Gerard Evans. He moved on. They lost Bucky Hodges. They lost leading receiver Isaiah Ford to the NFL. Those were huge losses. But to me, I look at this offense led by Josh Jackson, his mobility to put pressure on Oklahoma State's defense on the perimeter, Rich, could be the difference in this matchup. He's played very well as a freshman, completed 60% of his passes, over 2,700 passing yards, 19 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. If he can run the football, keep Mason Rudolph on the sidelines. You're talking about a Virginia Tech defense that's only given up 118 rushing yards per game, one 87 to opposing quarterbacks and more importantly the most important statistic 25 percent on third down conversions 
I think they force Mason Rudolph in, into really third down and long situations. That secondary, they're able to force turnovers, plus seven in turnover margin. I like Bud Foster and Fuente in this in this matchup. Well, I, I mean, listen, Jackson, I don't think had a great year. I disagree with that assessment. I, I thought he was up and down, especially against better opponents. And now if you take his safety uh, blanket out of the picture, if you take Phillips, uh, who's a really good receiver, developed, was more of a... Uh, was more of a possession receiver earlier yeah. in his career. Kind of gave way right. to Isaiah Ford and Bucky Hodges, who you mentioned. But now when it was time to step up, he really delivered this season. A lot of uh, long ball type plays. Makes good makes good adjustments on bad throws. And there were a number of bad throws from Josh Jackson this year. Without that safety blanket, I, I don't know who he turns to in the passing game. And he might have to use his feet in order to beat the Oklahoma State defense because Trevon McMillan, one of the better running backs from uh, from Virginia Tech, has decided he's going to transfer out of the program. So not a lot of offensive pop out of the Hokies. It's going to hinge on Jackson. The one thing Oklahoma State does well, and traditionally they've done well, can be soft, but they do create takeaways. 22 takeaways this year, very good secondary in terms of jumping routes, creating turnovers. I think that'll be the case. And in terms of Virginia Tech, outstanding defense. The numbers prove it out. But this is a different kind of an offensive matchup. This is not a traditional ACC offense that they're facing. Mason Rudolph is going to play in the NFL. James Washington's going to play in the NFL. I think Marcel Aitman, who's sort of in the shadow of James Washington, Jalen McCleskey in the shadow of James Washington, ditto Justice Hill. I think those players want to make statements against Bud Foster's defense as well. I don't think it'll be a blowout because Vatek usually doesn't get blown out because of that defense and special teams, but I don't think Virginia Tech can keep pace offensively with Rudolph and company. I think Rudolph wants to make a statement in his final game as, a, as an amateur. Well, he has the weapons. You mentioned Justice Hill over 1,300 rushing yards, Aitman and Washington. They've com- combined for 123 receptions, over 2,400 receiving yards, and 20 touchdowns. But here's the thing. You mentioned offenses in the ACC. I mean, they started the year Virginia Tech against Big 12 opponent West Virginia and Will Greer. Now they gave up a lot of yards, but they won that ball game 31 to 24, and they still faced top ranked Clemson and played very well from a defensive standpoint. Now Josh Jackson, he's a freshman though, Rich. I mean the extra weeks of preparation yeah. will benefit him, and, and that's where I like the advantage for Justin Fuente. And the way that Bud Foster coached up that defense last year showed me that those players bought in. They fell behind in the belt bowl 24 to nothing to Arkansas, made halftime adjustments to dominate that matchup. You give Bud Foster enough time, he'll come up with a game plan to force Mason Rudolph into mistakes, and that's why I like the Hokies here. I just think this is a different kind of a challenge for Foster and his defenders. And again, it's a very good defense uh, up front back end. I'm a big Tim Settle fan, the defensive uh, tackle. But this is a different kind of an offense and I'll just I'll end this uh, segment by, by asking you who steps up to complement Jackson. If he's going to evolve, which running back, which receiver, which tight end is going to, to kind of help him in the supporting cast? I think it's him solely. I think okay. it's read option. I think they utilize his legs on the perimeter. I don't think they'll get, they'll get into a shootout with Oklahoma State the way they did against Will Greer week number one with that type of preparation. He doesn't have those weapons. But I think his legs will be the difference. And if you look at Oklahoma State defensively, in that loss at the end of the year to Kansas State, Cody Thompson made enough plays on the perimeter 
perimeter. That opened up play action, yep. and he was able to exploit the Oklahoma State defense vertically for over 250 passing yards. They won that matchup 45-40. to So if Oklahoma State's concerned about Josh Jackson on the perimeter, that could open up big plays in the passing attack. That's a good comparison. I mean, they really did struggle against the Kansas State offense, which is one-dimensional. You knew they were going to run the ball and still couldn't stop them. So that's a, that's a fair comparison. Yeah, we'll turn our attention to another intriguing battle. It's Stanford and Bryce Love, 1,973 rushing yards, 17 rushing touchdowns. Costello's played very well. They're underdogs in this ballgame to Gary Patterson and Kenny Hill. I can't back Kenny Hill in any way, shape, or form. You look at their bowl performance last year against Georgia, did not step up. I know they have 10 wins this year, but again, I'm not sold on Stanford, uh, excuse me, TCU's ability to stop Stanford in the trenches. I think Stanford wears them down. I see anywhere from 7 to 10 point win uh, by David Shaw and the crew. I think it'll be close, Joe. These are two similar teams. I, I like the matchup. You have two of the better coaches in college football. Stanford's David Shaw, TCU's Gary Patterson, similar kind of programs, uh, you know, not great quarterback play. They're going to want to run to set up the pass, quality defenses. One kid I would say you've got to watch. If I have a favorite defensive player, it might be Harrison Phillips on Stanford. I mean, this kid puts up an unbelievable number of stops for an interior lineman. I think he's going to be great on Sundays. Love watching him play, but in terms of complete defense, I think TCU is better. This has not been a great year defensively for Stanford, allowing more than four yards a carry. That rarely happens. I do wonder about the health of Bryce Love. I know he's going to play before likely heading off to the NFL, so I give him credit. Christian McCaffrey, his backfield mate, did not play in a bowl game last year. Bryce Love will, but K.J. Costello is average, has never been in this setting before. Kenny Hill at least has the experience in playing in postseason games. Uh, He's a senior quarterback. Darius Anderson, the running back who looked so good in the first half of the season, He'll be back to compliment Kyle Hicks. I just like the pressure and the speed of the TCU defense. I think that's the difference in what should be a close, relatively low-scoring game. See, here's the matchup that I look at when I break this game down, and I said matchups. And you look at TCU last year against Georgia, a pro-style offense with tight ends. The tight ends were able to stretch TCU's defense on seam routes vertically. Now, you look at a variation of that against Oklahoma and Mark Andrews. He had a big day against TCU in both of those matchups as well. When you look at Stanford and their ability to utilize the tight end, that could be the matchup because when you look at TCU in the trenches, statistically they're holding opposing offenses to 99 rushing yards per game. The way you have to beat TCU is over the top. 228 passing yards allowed to opposing offenses, but they don't see a lot of tight ends playing in the Big 12, and that's where I think Stanford has an advantage in this matchup. Uh, Stanford always has great tight ends. I mean, they're big, they're shorthanded, they could block in line, and, and that's no different this year. Stanford always has quality tight ends. That's going to be a factor against the TCU linebackers, which are undersized. They are not tall linebackers. They're built more like uh, oversized safeties. But, but, yeah, listen, TCU offensive line has been very good all season long. 
defensive line has been solid, led by Ben Banigou, uh, Traven Howard. They're allowing, you mentioned, what, 99 yards a 99. game? 99. Under three yards per carry. That's not going to be the case against Bryce Love, but I think this is going to be a difficult test for Love. I think TCU, with Gary Patterson, one of the better defensive coaches in the country, I think they'll sell out to stop Bryce Love and really put the pressure on K.J. Costello to make plays over the top. Quality tight ends, average at the wide receiver position. They've been average at the wide receiver position for a very long been. time. I mean, for some reason, Stanford does not develop big-time wide receivers. Ty Montgomery is one I remember yeah. was, was very good. But beyond that, not a great core of receivers. I think this will be a close game. It's not a best bet for me because I think it can go either way. It'll be competitive. I think it'll be well-played because of those coaching staffs. But the veteran quarterback, the return of Darius Anderson, and the speed of that TCU defense, I think that'll be the difference in what might be like a 27-24 game. Teo Johnson, but Stanford is plus 15 in turnover margin if they're able to force a short field. Costello does have 11 passing touchdowns on the year. Rich likes TCU. I'm all over the Cardinal. When we come back, we'll be talking to Gabe Morenci. Get his best picks for the day. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network Studio 34. If you're playing daily fantasy basketball on DraftKings or FanDuel this NBA season, you need to sign up for Daily Roto. Built by a team featuring millionaire maker winners and live final champions, Daily Roto's customizable projections, podcasts, strategy guides, and lineup optimizer will help you compete with the pros in a fraction of the time. Better yet, you can save 10% off using the promo code FNTSY. So go to DailyRoto.com backslash premium to learn more about their product. out to a little rock. Three games on tap. They start at 12 o'clock. Texas Tech in South Florida. You want to get your best selections, you're bringing Game Time Decisions host Gabe Morenci. He's live via Skype. Gabe, how are you today? Always a pleasure, guys. Uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. And um, yeah, get, get your Sharpies out, guys. And basically, whatever team that I tell you to take, uh, just write down whoever they're playing, and uh, you know, call call your guy. Go to your computer, and uh, you'll make a lot of money. I got to tell you, the last couple of days have been rough, man. And uh, I feel like Rodney Dangerfield. It's, it's getting rough here, guys. Real, real, real rough. Um, and I, I see that there's some line movement right now. South Florida have been three point favorites all week. I see it down to two and a half, and I think that's because I've been telling anyone who would listen that I love South Florida today, guys. Uh, but. All kidding aside, I'm fired up for some football. Uh, Let's have some fun and uh, let's watch some college football. Gabe, I did want to get your thoughts about what we saw transpire this week and last night with Central Michigan and Wyoming. We saw Ohio dominate in the in the Bahamas Bowl. Any any thoughts about the bowl season so far? I mean, we knew once everybody loved UAB that we were losers yesterday. Uh, just the way it works in Vegas. But uh, give me your thoughts about what we've seen so far. Yeah, first off, I just want to ask a question. And uh, what what uh, what conference did conf- does uh, UAB play in? Was it like the Alabama High School Class Three Division, or like a real conference? Like, how did this team win eight games? I don't want to be the Grinch, you know. Oh, it's a great season, great job for the kids. I'm gonna come on. Wait, anyway, how do you guys win eight games? Listen, last weekend out of the gate, bowl there was a big trend. The first four bowl games, underdogs won outright. 
Okay, so the dogs were barking and they were biting. Uh, but everything is evened out. It's amazing how point spreads and totals uh, have a way of evening out. Water finds its level. And we played 10 games. We have five favorites to one. We have five underdogs to one. We have five games that got over the number. We have five games that got under the number. One thing we have noticed, and I'm sure you guys have noticed this as well, um, I find this when I bet on MMA often, in which you bet on an MMA fight, a UFC fight, you can tell within the first 30 seconds. Um, you know you know how they say a woman decides in the first 10 seconds whether uh, she'll sleep with you or not. Normally the decision is no. <laughs> so um, the same thing. You get the decision of a UFC fight right away. You're like, oh, I'm on the wrong side. And that's what's going on with these bowl games. You just sort of realize basically about two minutes into these games, this team has come to play. This team has it. And there's no rhyme or reason to this stuff. The Ohio Bobcats looked as good yesterday as they've looked all season, man. Boise State didn't look as good all year as they did last week in the Las Vegas Bowl. And you get some other teams that look great all year, and they stumble. It's very hard to get into the head of the coaching staff and the mindset of the team. Is it a vacation? Is it a game? Uh, you know, how are you going to take it? And then you get the invariables like FAU and uh, Mr. Magoo going down on the first series of the game the other night. And I changed the dynamic of that football game. I thought FIU was going to be in that game. They lost their quarterback. So long story short, I don't know, guys. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, look, Gabe, Gabe I, I don't know. Gabe, I have posed this question. I, I, I think I'm leaning towards the bowl season. I don't know what is harder to predict this time of year or an opener in which you have so many new starters, so many fresh faces, coaches coaching for the first time. This bowl season has been humbling for all of us because it's so difficult to get into the heads of kids that are 18 to 21. You are absolutely right. I don't know if they're treating it like a vacation, like a chance to sort of uh, unload a little bit and uh, have a reward for a regular season, or are they actually serious? We don't know until those first couple of series, but boy, when it hits, you realize at that point that, man, I might have gone in the wrong direction. Yeah, and it's, it's a, you get that sinking feeling in your stomach, don't you? Yes. <laughs> like that and I know Joe takes it real hard. <laughs> I know Jay, Joe, Joe takes these losses hard. I get that, you know, I'm like, oh, God. this. I, I could tell yesterday, basically, about 30 seconds into the UAB game. Yeah. And then you get the old, wow, I guess they were just happy to be there, and it was a great season. But there are a couple of things we're going to hang our hat on moving forward. And I, I'm still a big believer in betting against interim coaches. You know, we've seen a pattern with uh, with teams that have lost their offensive guys. Look at last week, guys. The Ducks' defense was fine. Ducks' defense played as good as they played all year. Jim Levitt was still there. Jim Levitt was getting a contract to stay. You know, the unit wasn't disrupted. Willie Tiger's gone. The offense wasn't the same. Uh, you know, it just wasn't. You know, we, we saw SMU. We're talking SMU, man. They, you know, the only team besides Oklahoma State uh, to have a quarterback that threw for 3,000 yards, uh, uh, two receivers with 1,000 yards, uh, and a running back. These guys can barely get in the freaking end zone, you know, losing Chad Morris. There really is something to it. We've talked about it. It's the dark and the ugly side of college football. And I think a lot of times it's the kids like, well, if the coach left, no one really cares anyways, man. You know, and these bowl games, I hate to say it, but I mean, look at look, you know, look at the awkwardness of Royce Freeman hanging around on the sidelines. No. I'm not going to play, but I'm going to hang around, which really intrigues me about the UCLA game. With Josh Rosen playing, uh, you know I'm really looking forward to this game. You know, bravo, 
to, to Josh Rosen. This guy's been beat up all year. He's got an interim coach. He might be the number one pick taken in the NFL draft. And this kid's playing in a bowl game uh, against K-State. Like, so if you're a kid on UCLA, you're just some kid that just got there. You're like, wow, how do I not play hard in this bowl game when this kid is laying it on the line? But without being stated, they can't stop the run. <laughs> and K-State ain't playing pretty well. We got all that K-State trauma going on behind the scenes. You know, the kids will play for Bill Snyder. I don't think this is going to end well for K-State when it's all said and done. You know, I was kind of leaning with UCLA in this game, but I'm starting to buy into K-State in which Bill Snyder wins. And then, I don't know, man, they might have to impeach him. <laughs> uh, you know, you guys, I don't have to tell you about the story with his son trying to take over and him wanting. It can't go down like that. You can't give the son the job, man. He's been, you know, he, he, has, he, has, he just doesn't have the pedigree to do this. And it's getting ugly. I think they let him coach the game, and then basically it gets real, real funky next week at K-State, guys. Gabe, there's, there would be only one reason why Josh Rosen, for all the factors that you mentioned, would play in this ball game, and it's because he's probably looked at the tape and realizes, you know what? I could probably throw for 500 yards in this ball game against Kansas State secondary and possibly six or seven touchdowns. Because you're, I agree with you, that would be the only reason why he would play in this ball game. He hasn't played hurt all season long. Now he's going to step up in a bowl game and play the, uh, against a physical his, defense. So curious, so curious. He's trying to show his team. I don't know. He's trying to show his medal here. If I'm an NFL team, I love this. Yeah. Hey, how do you don't right? If you're an NFL team that's liking Josh Rosen right now, you're looking at this and thinking, all right, just pray he doesn't get hurt because I love this kid's character. If this kid is doing this right now, you know, he's showing you what he'll do. I think it's almost a – I think it's a, he's doing it for his teammates. I think he's doing it for UCLA. I think it's the type of kid that he is. And then B, on top of it, I think he's doing it as the icing on the cake to NFL guys, to NFL GMs and owners that I'm not some flaky California kid. I'm a kid that'll go out there and lay it on line. I'd be worried for him, man. You know, he's, he's a little bit injury prone, lands on a shoulder. And that's what you got to be careful about, too. If he gets hurt in the game, he's not going to come back in the game, uh, guys. But I'm fired up, and I know Joe loves this quarterback and Quinton Flowers. So do I. I don't understand the line movement right now, guys. Down to two and a half points in this football game. People are starting to buy in at Texas Tech uh, right now. And maybe it's because... They're looking at South Florida's schedule, and this is this is uh, this is something, you know, this is like a, a poll that a politician doesn't want to hear. You only want to hear facts that are on your side of the equation, and this is not a good one. You know, South Florida only beat what one team with a winning record this year. <laughs> you know, that team was Temple, and then Temple only got to a winning record because the quarterback got hurt the other night for FIU. So there's no doubt that Texas Tech have played a more difficult schedule. But in Quinton Flowers, I do trust. You know, I like the coaching matchup here with Charlie Strong. I think South Florida gets to 10 wins, and they win this football game. I'll lay the two and a half points. Gabe, we'll get you on next hour. We'll be talking in uh, Army and San Diego State, App State and Toledo. Keep it where it is. Uh, we know he'll I got two words for you. Frankie Juice. Uh, he, he was Frankie so right. Frankie Juice you. and Temple you, got it done. My brother from uh, north of the border, thank you. I, I, I know it's just speculation. FIU was winning that football game before <laughs> Magoo drive. went down. They went from Alex Magoo one to dr- Mr. Magoo One behind drive. Center. You and Gabe after they were, they one drive. Once Alex Magoo was, passed the 50, 
FIU is going to win this ball game and Frankie Juice and the crew. They had had an NAIA backup quarterback (laughs) who had no shot against Temple. Frankie Juice was throwing. (laughs) He was awful the other night. Frank Newtile and the crew did step up for that victory. Listen, you got a break. You got a break. I could see you in your living room uh, fist pumping. Uh, Yeah, I was like this. Look, Frankie Juice. (laughs) When when Magoo hurt his shoulder. I mean, you know, come on. If Frank Newtile went down in that ball game, everybody would have said, "Yeah, you have the backup." You you cannot compare. Frank Newtile was a backup quarterback. Yes, I am. You're getting very. Was a backup quarterback at the beginning of the year. Alex Magoo was the face well, of this program. He's a four-year starter. Depth. Frankie depth. Juice has played about seven Butch or eight Davis games. Davis did not have the depth to coach up that talent in that That matchup. I would agree with. Butch, Butch, you have to do a better job of uh, coaching up those backups because sometimes the starter gets hurt. <laughs> but he It happens br- sometimes. He did bring up a good point about Josh Rosen. Now, I look at it that as... That makes that game fascinating. I look at That's it as a little selfish, though, because I don't. I know he's doing it for his teammates. It looks like that on paper. But, I again, I think he broke down the tape. He realizes this secondary is as bad as it seems. I can have a big day here, increase my draft stock. Offensive line to play very well as Joe, well. It, it, if Josh Rosen ever gets hurt in this game, oh. I'm telling you, what kind of an impact will that have on other kids going forward who say to themselves in the bowl season, you know what? I don't want to be the next Josh Rosen. Yeah, or Sam Darnold. I mean, they yeah, have a bowl game exactly. against Ohio yep. State, so we'll see how that game plays out as well. When we come back, we'll be rapid-fire picks. Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live in the Fantasy Sports Radio Network Studio 34. Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. on college football today. Rapid fire picks of some of the bowl games we're not going to go in depth in. Let's jump right into it. David Cutcliffe and Duke taking on Northern Illinois, Rich. This is a Northern Illinois team that played very well against some of the better teams on their schedule. They lost by three points to Boston College, lost by six to a very physical San Diego State team, and more importantly, knocked off Nebraska. I like Northern Illinois. They're catching around five points in this ballgame, and Duke is favored for the first time since 1989. I'm all in with the Huskies here. Yeah, I agree. I, I think NIU wins this game outright. Uh, love Sutton Smith. If you have not watched the defensive end and an outside linebacker's body, he is just a bolt of lightning off the edge. Duke has struggled offensively all year. I think that'll continue to be the case. And Husky running back Jordan Huff, not healthy for much of the year, but when he finally regained full strength, started to take off late in the season. So I think Huff against it is a defensive struggle. I don't think there'll be a lot of points, but I like the Huskies. I think it matters to them. I think they win it outright as well. We agree. Yeah, we'll see how that game plays out. That game is Wednesday night, so check that out. Rich and I both like Northern Illinois in that ballgame. Another intriguing battle is Utah State and New Mexico State. It's a battle of the Aggies. Utah 
State, when they're in bowl games, they play very well. But I like Tyler Rogers here. I think they have the more balanced offense. They could stretch Utah State's defense vertically. I'm just not sold on the offensive consistency of Utah State. I think the Aggies, New Mexico State, the Aggies win this ballgame. I agree. Uh, I, I agree again. We're That's scary two here. for two between us. I'll tell you why. You mentioned Tyler Rogers. Another player that was not healthy at the end of the season, but now has had a full month to recover. Having him under center really transforms that New Mexico State offense. And to me, Joe, easily the two best playmakers in this game are on the Sunbelt Aggies, New Mexico State, and Jaleel Scott, the wide receiver, Larry Rose, the third, the running back. Those are two players who I think will continue their careers on Sunday. And Utah State doesn't have anyone who can match those kids. First time in a bowl game since 1960 for New Mexico State, and I think they'll play like it. Yeah, Southern Miss and Jay Hobson, big underdogs to Florida State. James Blackman, Odell Hagens will be the head coach for this ball game. We saw FAU dominate Akron as a huge favorite, but I like Jay Hobson in this matchup. I like Ito Smith. I know Blackman will benefit from the extra preparation time, but this is still an offensive line in Florida State that's allowed 32 two total sacks no Derwin James I like Southern Miss to be in striking distance and more importantly cover this large number and that is now three times in a row which I believe is a sign of the apocalypse that yeah. we have now agreed on three straight I listen Florida State they have no desire to be in this bowl game Southern Miss this matters defensively the Golden Eagles have played well you've got Ito Smith uh, running the ball Quadra Griggs has gotten progressively better at quarterback I'll take those points I think Southern Miss plays with a lot of passion in this yeah game. I, here's a game I know we're, we're in disagreement yes, I, in I think you're right you look at Virginia and Navy triple option attack I mean they lost that matchup to Army they should be hungry in this bowl game but I look at Bronco Mendenhall I look at Kurt Bankert I look at the physicality of the defensive tackles of Virginia being able to disrupt the timing of that triple option Virginia big in a big way 17 points or more over navy i'm gonna take navy it's not a best bet for me you know how much i like malcolm perry zach ab with time to heal the concern that i have for uva is how physical can they be when they're 82nd nationally against the run when you're that soft against the run going up against the triple option of navy i think it's a close game joe but i'll take the midshipmen in playing a home game on top of it this game is in annapolis so give me the midshipmen to win this game outright virginia did face the triple option with georgia tech in charlottesville and they got that victory the way you have to beat navy is over the top their secondary giving up 245 passing yards per game when we come back we'll be talking about the other matchups later in the week, including the Sun Bowl. Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live in the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Studio 34.